Aloha. You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. I'm your host, Chad Ford. My guest today is the athletic senior writer and host of the Hollinger and Duncan podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, John Hollinger. Aloha. Aloha, Chad. I have to start with a caveat for our listeners that are wondering why today you aren't getting the second half of the Chad Ford Ryan Rossillo mock draft 1.0. Many of our listeners may not know that I also produce these podcasts, and maybe that's not one of my strong areas. And in cutting the podcast last week into two, I accidentally erased all of my audio. Uh, to the to the podcast. Uh, I had Ryan's, but I don't have mine. And so I want to appreciate John Hollinger coming in and stepping in uh, at the last minute to uh, record a podcast here uh, for us today. And big apologies to Ryan Rosillo. He was great uh, at the rest of that mock draft. Um, but we're going to go to a redraft again. And we're going to tackle the 2010 uh, redraft uh, this year. 2010 draft was maybe not the draft that like generated a ton of excitement, but there were a lot of prospects at the top of this draft, starting with John Wall, that that did have a lot of buzz. Yeah, I mean, John Wall was coming out of that 2009 uh, Hoop Summit uh, where he was awesome. I think the whole year he was seen as the certain top pick. Um, and then some other big-time talents on that Kentucky team. I mean, his backup was Eric Bledsoe on that team. Uh, and they had two other players taken in the lottery. Yeah. It, again, uh, another stacked uh, Kentucky team. And this is a draft that, you know, it's going to be interesting. Didn't play out a, like any draft exactly the way that, that you would think, but yet at the same time, you know, there was a, you know, some guys in the lottery that, that ended up actually being okay. So we're gonna start yeah. with our. Uh, we're gonna start with the draft order here and get you caught up on what happened on 2010 draft. The Wizards had the number one pick in the draft. They selected John Wall out of Kentucky. The 76ers had the number two pick in the draft. They took Evan Turner out of Ohio State. The New Jersey Nets had the third pick in the draft. Took Derek Favors out of Georgia Tech. Minnesota was on the board at four. Wesley Johnson was their selection out of Syracuse. Sacramento Kings at five. DeMarcus Cousins out of Kentucky, a pick they both got right and wrong uh, <laughs> in a way only the Kings can do. At six, the Warriors uh, took Ipe Udo out of Baylor. At number seven, the Detroit Pistons took Greg Monroe out of Georgetown. At eight, the Clippers took Al Farouk Amino out of Wake Forest. At nine, the Utah Jazz selected Gordon Hayward out of Butler. At 10, the Indiana Pacers took Paul George of Fresno State. And there was a run on, run on Kansas players. At number 11. This worked out, this worked out well. At number 11, <laughs> New, or New Orleans Hornets took Cole Aldridge out of, Can out of Kansas. And at 12, the Memphis Grizzlies took Xavier Henry out of Kansas. At 13, the Raptors selected Ed Davis out of North Carolina, and the Rockets rounded out the lottery at number 14 with Patrick Patterson, yet another Kentucky player. John, you get the first pick in the draft All right. uh, this time, and uh, you've got the Wizards. They're on the board. Should they have selected John Wall, number one? I mean, so... You cannot knock the Wizards for selecting John Wall, number one. However, in the redraft, this will not be my pick. This will be a guy people had a lot of questions about coming into this draft. Uh, Paul George out of Fresno State. I think he's clearly turned out to be the best player from this draft. I think he still is playing at a really high level and will only add to his lead in the coming years. And uh, pretty, pretty amazing just because – there was, a, there was a lot of stuff. Well, we don't know if he plays hard all the time. Is he really interested in being an, an elite player? And 
a lot of people were really lukewarm on him. Well, you, you think about it. He's playing at Fresno State. It's not like he is destroying everybody at, at Fresno State. His sophomore year, which was his last year at Fresno State, he averaged 17 points a game, seven rebounds a game, three assists, only shot 42% uh, from the field uh, in, that, in, in that year, shot 35% from three. You know, at, at a, at a, th- those are good numbers if you're at like Kentucky or Duke, but at Fresno State, typically when you see a player drafted out of a, a smaller conference in a smaller school like that, they're usually doing something like, you know, Damian Lillard did and, and just destroying everybody. And that just wasn't the case with uh, Paul George. Yeah. And it, and it took him a little while to get going really, even in his, uh, his rookie year, I think the Pacers weren't really sure what they had. And then it wasn't really till the second or third year that he blew up. But so th- this draft to me was like a little bit of a learning lesson that, Big wings who can dribble should always be the first thing you go after. Like they're so valuable when you hit on them. And I think we're going to see this in, in a pick or two as well with the next guy. Um, that, that it supersedes, like there's so many bigs here that went in the lottery. Um, there were some combo forwards who didn't really have a handle that, you, you know, when you look at like Wesley Johnson, Al Farouk Aminu, um, and, but just this, this is the number one player archetype like, they're so, they're so valuable. They all get max contracts when they hit free agency. Um, even if they're not quite elite elite, they, th- that's still what they get. Cause the market is so desperate for them. And so anytime you have a chance to hit on a guy like this, you almost have to swing. And it's really, it's interesting to me because there was another guy in this draft, Wesley Johnson, that sort of played the same position that in some ways had somewhat of a, a, a somewhat similar skill set, but was considered much more proven playing at Syracuse. I, I know one of the really interesting backstories about Paul George is Paul George was terrific in workouts. Teams really were impressed by him. And one of those teams that was super impressed by him was the Minnesota Timberwolves who were at four, who were looking for a player exactly with Paul George's skill set, but felt like they couldn't roll the dice on this 19 year old playing at Fresno state that you had to take the more proven commodity in Wesley Johnson at, at the time. And it's, it's again, one of these classic things about the, when guys, and we've seen this throughout our redrafts, when teams roll the dice like this and they miss, it looks ridiculous. Like, why in the world did you reach for something? There were so many red flags. And then when they, they hit it, like they hit it with Giannis Antetokounmpo, for example, or Paul George, you, you look like geniuses later. But there, there was real risk in drafting Paul George number one uh, or even number five. Even at number 10, I think people felt like that was probably the high, high, the higher end of where he would go in the draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a, you know, this is another in a string of just tremendous picks in this era by the Indiana Pacers. Um, when, when you look at the George pick, the Hibbert pick, um, I'm trying to remember they, 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 they were never in the top 10, but they got basically the whole rotation of that conference finals team out of these drafts. They did. And, and, you know, a a real credit to the Pacers, Uh, there was, it'd be really interesting to see what happened on draft night because you have this, this uh, local kid who played at Butler, um, who there was a lot of talk about whether he was going to fall to them at 10 and whether Gordon Hayward would have end up, ended up being at Indiana, Utah, one pick above. And by the way, Utah really liked Paul George as well. And, and he was in serious consideration there at nine. I mean, this was one of the really interesting things where, you know, I talked to a lot of teams before the draft and this was a thing where Paul George was everywhere. Like every team saw the potential and and they just didn't quite have the courage to to pull the trigger. It very very much reminded me of Giannis Antetokounmpo, where every team would say, "We love the guy; he could be a superstar," but then they talked themselves out of it on draft night. Right, right. And uh, as you say, you know, Paul George 
not not only the best player in this draft, but had some considerable injuries as well. I mean, if 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 he had avoided those injuries, were and this is one of going to be the theme at the top of this draft is even the top guys in this draft have really struggled with some serious injuries that have kept them from being maybe everything they could have been in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you go through, it's pretty amazing when you go through this draft. I think you, listeners will see pretty soon. Right. Yeah. There's big injury concerns, big issues, but yet despite all of that, uh, in, in most of these cases at the top, these players were able to, to bounce back, uh, to one extent or the other, um, with the maybe possible exception of who we're going to draft next or who I'm going to draft next uh, with the number two pick in the draft, Philadelphia 76ers are on the board and I'm, I'm still going to take John wall here. Okay. Uh, even with a, a cloud hanging over John wall right now about, uh, where, what his future is going to be in the, in the NBA. Uh, I, I think that, you know, you're all hoping that he is going to be able to bounce back and, and, and be the player that we thought he could be and, and was at times, uh, for Washington. But when you, when you think about what the number one attribute of John wall coming into this draft was, it was that incredible athleticism and speed with the ball. In fact, I'm not sure that I I've ever seen, especially at his size, you know, at six, four, you know, 210 pounds that his speed with the ball was something that I had just never really seen at that size before. And, and you worry as, as he gets older, how that's going to, you know, translate. There was questions about his, about his shot. Um, you know, there was questions a little bit about, you know, coachability with him and, and, you know, some, some things, but he's, He's turned in a really, really strong career uh, for Washington. It might not be at the peak level that we had hoped that he would reach. Uh, probably his best season is the is the 2016-17 season when he was 26 years old, averaged 10, 23 points a game, 10, 10 assists a game. Uh, that 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 to me was probably peak John Wall. Uh, and he was actually um, the 2018-19 season uh, before he got injured. He was also just off to a really phenomenal start before the before the wheels came off. Yeah, and we'll we'll see. Uh, I don't expect him to come back in these uh, eight games uh, for the Wizards, but when he comes back next year, we'll see uh, what what he can what he can come back with. The one thing he's really added since he's been in the league is those one-handed cross-court passes to corner shooters. I mean, he's become just awesome at setting up three point shooters. And uh, again, that wasn't necessarily something coming into the draft that, that we knew was going to be part of walls game. He was, he was drafted just almost purely on the speed, the combination of his body, the speed, his aggressiveness, his ability to score the basketball, even court vision was, was somewhat questionable. Uh, right, coming out of Kentucky, though for his career he's averaged nine nine assists a game. Uh, though yeah. though he's also been, uh, I would I would say it's accurate to say that he's been uh, pretty turnover prone throughout his career. Yes, yes, averaging almost four turnovers a game. All right, John Wall, number two pick in the draft. We hope he comes back, and maybe this extra little hiatus of the season and the season starting later sometime in December actually buys him a little bit more time to come back and, and rehab. And, and that will be good for the wizards devastating blow uh, to the wizards to lose him right at a time when they looked like they were ready to start to make some noise in the Eastern conference. The third pick in the draft, it goes to the, at the time, the New Jersey nets, they selected Derek favors who has turned out to have a really solid NBA career. I'm not sure that he's going to be the pick at number three. No, but it would have been ironic if my guy had been the pick because Derek Favors was eventually traded to Utah for Darren Williams, right, as part exactly. of that package. So my pick here is Gordon Hayward, who maybe would have ended up in Utah anyway, <laughs> right? Uh, speaking of devastating injuries, obviously there's the, uh, uh, the, the injury he had in his first game in a Celtics uniform that cost him an entire season and really just started getting back to form this year. 
to being the player he was with the Jazz. But uh, elite, again, like ball handling wing, he can shoot pull-ups, get all the way to the basket, get to the rim and dunk on guys. Uh, athletic, able to block shots, get out in transition. Uh, just really checks so many boxes uh, as a as a player, as a as a skilled wing with size, again, like with Paul George. And it's just such a hugely valuable commodity. Like even in his current form with Boston, he's just a hugely valuable player because he can handle the ball, he can attack mismatches, he can make an open shot. Like that's that that's exactly what you need from your from your wing player. So I th- I think he's still gonna continue to build up uh, you know, career win shares or however you want to look at it. Uh, and and cement his place in the top three in this draft. And it, it he was also considered a risk. He was polarized and, and and was not good his rookie year. Yeah, he was polarized like like Paul George in this particular one. Obviously, at Butler, you typically won't. Uh, you know, the average fan won't know players at Butler, but because this Butler team was so incredibly uh, successful. They end up in the NCAA title game. Uh, he has a shot at the end of the game that that looked like it could almost have gone in and 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 have been a legend, uh, you know, forever. But you look at his sophomore season; he averaged 15 points a game, eight rebounds a game. He only shot 29 percent from three in his sophomore season, which you know was a concern for some teams when you're drafting a guy based off of the fact that one of the things that you, you thought about him was that he had a beautiful silky smooth uh, jump shot. There was questions about strength, who he was going to defend in the NBA. And you're right to point out that his rookie season, uh, Utah was sweating this. Yeah. Five points a game. Yeah. Just really passive. I think one of the things that happened his second, third season is he really got a lot more aggressive and attack-minded and more confident in his game off the dribble. Because that first year, he would do a pick and roll, and he would just take – he wouldn't even attack. He would just take one dribble and then pass it no matter what. And I I think he's he's developed the uh, aggression and the confidence in his ball skills where that doesn't happen anymore. He gets the switch, and he just murders the guy then. This was a devastating loss for Utah when he leaves as a free agent after the 2016-17 season. Utah put in a full-court press. He was an incredibly popular player in Utah, and Utah was an up-and-coming team in the Western Conference at, at the time. He jumped ship to go play with his old college coach at Boston. I think we could see the writing on the wall for, for quite a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. But one of the more painful free agent, you know, guys leaving that we've seen in a while, this really was a, a painful, painful loss for Utah. And then of course, for him to come in and literally on opening night, five minutes into the first game of the season to go down with a season ending injury and then come back the 2018, 19 season and not really be, the Gordon Hayward that we had seen uh, in the past. Uh, it's nice to see him back 2019-20 having a Gordon Hayward type season uh, for Boston again. Okay, that is the third pick in the draft. The fourth pick in the draft, I think there's a there's a little drop off now. I think that's sort of fair to say. You kind of have those uh, those three guys at the top and you could probably argue a little bit about Hayward at two or Wall at two or what have you. So you're going with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I found myself bouncing back and forth actually between four guys here. Um, And I can make arguments for each of them. And uh, I I might end up going with the most controversial pick here in part because I think he might be the best like right now. And that is Hassan Whiteside. Okay. Okay. At former Memphis Grizzlies training camp and Iowa Energy legend, Hassan Whiteside. Hassan Whiteside, who has one of the more interesting, uh, to me, um, but he, he plays at Marshall. He He's really good at Marshall. He's also, how do I say this 
politely. He's also kind of a knucklehead. Is that is that fair? And like what beyond that, it was like he wasn't uh, like he wasn't all there. Yeah. Right. Well, like th- there. We had a strange <laughs> interview pre-draft. Yeah. And yeah. it it was the mo- one of the more head scratching interviews that I've ever had with a prospect. I think that it was um, repeated over and over again in NBA draft rooms uh, as as teams met with him. The the physical tools were all there. He has a really good um, freshman season at Marshall. He probably on talent is a lottery pick in this draft. But when oh, yeah. when teams are meeting with him and and going through all that, there's just major question marks about Whiteside and what he's going to become in the league. And then you you watch his trajectory, right? And he he ends up going to Sacramento, plays just one game his first season, 18 games his second season in the league, and then he's gone for, for three years mm-hmm. before he comes back to Miami. And wow, he's his, his first year back from Miami, he's good. And then after that, he starts to become really good, leads the league in blocks in 2015 and 16, leads the league in rebounds in 2016-17, and actually this season for Portland was leading the league in blocks again uh, for them. 16 points, 14 rebounds a game, three blocks a game for Hassan Whiteside. He, he, he's just put up huge numbers uh, wherever he's yeah. gone after that. What's, what's your take on Whiteside, John? Yeah, so I mean, there is a little bit the case where he he's gotten a reputation as a guy who plays for his numbers, um, but his his production is too monumental to ignore. And I think relative to a lot of these other guys that we're going to talk about now, who are either all the way at the end of the line or can can see it very closely, I think I think Whiteside still has a lot of years ahead of him. I mean, he's he's been durable. He's been a starting caliber center. He's going to be a free agent this year. I'm, I'm imagining he'll go somewhere where he can start rather than backing up Yusuf Nurkic, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. I think he's still got some runway here to, to add to his career accomplishments uh, from this point forward. You know, funny story, we actually were the beginning of his comeback. He had played in Lebanon the year before. He had... He was to the point where nobody, everyone in the G League was sick of him and, 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 and didn't want him on their teams anymore. And frame Lebanon for a minute because Lebanon is. <laughs> I literally never. Like, I'm not I didn't sure what level they league had Lebanon, a league. Lebanon, like, Lebanon you know, is. Yeah. Like we, we, you know, we scout all these European leagues. We scout some that aren't very prominent at all. Let, let's just say none of us had ever been anywhere near a gym in Lebanon, right? <laughs> so, um, and we like we it all came around. We needed an extra body for for a training camp. We needed another big, and we actually had talked to his agent about another player. And he said, "Well, that guy committed to another team, but I can get you Hassan Whiteside." We all kind of looked at each other, and you know, we had heard the same stories everyone else had. We were like, well, "I don't know." And then, we, but th- there wasn't anyone else. There were like no more bigs. So we're like, "Fine, send him." And then he comes to training camp with us, and he was really good. And, uh, you know, there's a whole long story here uh, where with our roster and luxury tax situation, it, it wasn't that tenable to keep him. Uh, we, ended up, uh, we ended up with him in our G League team in Iowa. And the first game he put up video game stats. I forget what it was. It was like 37 points and 27 rebounds or something. And Miami pretty quickly signed him after that. Okay. Love those backstories. John Hollinger. Were you were you the guy? Did you dis- did you discover him? I I didn't I I can't take any credit for discovering him. He fell into our laps, but to his credit, he you know he came from a situation where most guys, when they fall that far out of the league, never get back, never get anywhere close to coming back. And yeah. Le- he- Lebanon's not even like there's no direct path from Lebanon to like a second division European team. Uh, let, let, <laughs> exactly. let alone to the yeah. NBA, right? So yeah, exactly. There, there's guys playing at a super high level in Europe at the highest level that have a really hard time making that transition back to the NBA. Just absolutely incredible 
that Whiteside made it back and has just had the production that he has. That there should be some sort of, you know, thirty for thirty doc on Hassan Whiteside. I actually think there's probably yeah. an actual story there that would be really compelling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Sacramento Kings at five. They selected Demarcus Cousins, and just on on numbers alone, uh, right? Like he's been, you know, really good. With all the other stuff that DeMarcus Cousins brings to the table, lots of question marks uh, for the Kings. It became untenable in Sacramento after a while. Who do you select at number five? I'm still going to take Boogie. Um, I think he's just way more talented than the other players that are available here. And I still think the thing you always wonder is if they hadn't panicked and fired Mike Malone in 2015, uh, where that relationship would have gone with cousins. He, he has always been one of the most talented big men. He is so, so skilled at at what he can do in so many ways. And he is just always carried with him. How incredibly challenging he is to coach and, and to work with on, on a team. And, and that's, that's what's the, what's hurt him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, you can nitpick like, you know, is he a little slow or a little heavy maybe, um, you know, but he, to be able to handle the ball at his size and do the things he does. I mean, really like not just big and wide, but skilled. And I I think even in the modern game has a lot of value because of that. Now, obviously we got another serious injury guy here as well after he tore his Achilles and. Uh, New Orleans hasn't really been able to get back uh, into into playing in a meaningful way. I think he's going to be another guy who'll be interesting this off season uh, to see what kind of what kind of deal he gets with what kind of team. Uh, that you know, nine years, five hundred sixty-five games. Is is there more left from him? Possibly. I think you know, but the draft to me is still about peak value. I think peak Cousins is clearly better than any of these other guys left. And regards to the other issues, and, and I, I still like the the Malone thing. I think was a real turning point in in SAC because Mal- Malone and Cousins had a pretty good thing going. I thought. I I actually think some of the tough love that Mike Malone brought, but with a personable side, as you said, like it 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 resonated uh, with Boogie. Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at the season that he ended up being uh, traded to. The, the Pelicans, he was averaging 27 points a game that, that season uh, for Sacramento, was shooting 36% from three, averaging over 10 rebounds a game. Uh, defense, you know, he, he clearly doesn't bring the de- defensive prowess of Whiteside, but, but offensively, he was one of the most dominant offensive players in the game. Yeah. And it, it is that question... One of the things that we never got to see, unfortunately, out of out of Demarcus was him playing on a team that was also successful on the court, and and I think uh, you know except with this you know thirty games that he played for the Golden State Warriors uh, in the eighteen nineteen uh, campaign, you didn't necessarily get to see what like peak boogie how that would have fit in with you know a really good team and whether he was another player that puts up great numbers on a really mediocre team, what that would have looked like in a championship contending team. Yeah. Yeah. And whether the chemistry could work. And, uh, you know, we've, you know, obviously if you've watched the last dance, you've seen that there's difficult players that they, that teams find a way to make it work. And with cousins, it was just always a bit, bit challenging, but man, the game is there. Okay. DeMarcus Cousins, five. I'm going to stop you for a second. I'm going to have a built bar. Got a ton of options here, but I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go with the raspberry chocolate cream. Uh, first of all, the bar tastes great. It's creamy. It's soft. It essentially tastes like I'm eating a piece of C's candy, but it's low in sugar. It's got high protein. It's it's an energy bar. It's it's not a candy bar. It just it just tastes like one. I've actually been using them for the past few weeks for a boost of my energy and protein after like long runs. 
but I also think they hit the spot after talking about the NBA draft. And there's no high sugar content or chalky bad taste left in my mouth. And in other words, it's the opposite of a David Kahn draft. Well, okay. Almost done. I'm tempted to do one more. It's that whole bar of deliciousness set me back uh, 110 calories. Now I'm eyeing a peanut butter brownie. Okay, so the cool thing is that on their website, they let you mix and match the bars you want in any combination. So everyone gets their favorite. And all right, look, I know we need to get back to the 2020 NBA draft. So here's the deal. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Locked On, $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Next time we can take a little break together and you can enjoy your Built Bar while I enjoy mine. I want to talk about our new sponsor, RockAuto.com. It's a family business that's been serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. And if you think about chain stores and they have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody. They're reliably low. They offer the lowest possible prices rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and then you choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. We are back with picks six through 10 on the next segment with John Hollinger. Golden State Warriors are on the board at six. Paul George, John Wall, Gordon Hayward, Hassan Whiteside, and DeMarcus Cousins are off the board. At six for the Warriors, I. You know, you 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 kind of go in in two ways here. Like maybe the, there's the best player who the Warriors might have selected if he'd been there, knowing everything at the time. Because uh, by 2010, they had they have Steph Curry. Uh, I could go back a number of different ways here, but I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and select a guy that was never like never sexy, but just consistently solid his entire career, which is Derek Favors. All right. At six, a guy that Utah tried to build around with him and Hayward. Uh, and, you know, his peak season, probably, you know, 2014, 15 through 16 seasons uh, for uh, the Utah Jazz. But, you know, a guy who, whose highest point production was 16 points a game, who never re- averaged over eight and a half rebounds a game, except you know, this year, I, I take that back, in, in New Orleans, this year, he averaged almost 10 boards a game, which is pretty cr- incredible considering he's only playing 24 minutes a game. Never became the offensive threat that I think that that people saw in him coming out of college at Georgia Tech. Also one of these players that got off to a really slow start his rookie season, and even his first couple of seasons in Utah, mostly coming off the bench and and being solid again but not not a star 
doesn't really start until the 2013-14 season as a starter at Utah. Favors is another guy that you start to wonder. He's only he's only 28 years old, but there's a part of you know Jazz moved on from him in part because it it does get a feeling when you watch his game like he's peaked a bit. Well, yeah, he's had a lot of physical problems too, like virtually everyone in this draft, and uh, I think I think that that is part of the reason he's he. He's old for his age, so to speak. Like physically, you can just see it. Um, it's funny because I think those peak years, you wonder how much better he could have been if Rudy Gobert had not been there and he'd been able to be a full-time five. Because I, I think that's always where he was best and that he could be most effective in the stretches where he played as basically a backup five when Gobert was out of the game. But there just weren't that many minutes for him to do that. Yeah, you thought you think about him being miscast there, and and maybe being more appropriately cast now uh, with the Pelicans and and playing with that that young team. Uh, it I actually thought this was a nice fit for him uh, coming into New Orleans this year, and I think he had a he had a had a really solid solid year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was good when he played this year. I mean, again, keeping him on the court, I think is going to be a challenge going forward, but still really solid defensively, good enough offensively. Uh, he can still be a starting caliber five for the right team. I just don't know if he can do it 30 minutes a game for 80 games. Okay, that's the Warriors at six. You have the Detroit Pistons at seven. They took Greg Monroe out of Georgetown, a guy that preseason was considered maybe a very highly ranked high school player preseason maybe top top three top four pick questions about his athleticism really dogged him even at Georgetown have dogged him really throughout his NBA career as well uh, though he's been uh, fairly productive on the offensive end uh, who's your who's your selection at seven for the Pistons uh gonna go in a different direction here and take a guy who is still playing at a really high level and in my opinion should be on one of the all defense teams this year and that is eric bledsoe yeah um bledsoe another really interesting question mark because he played on the same team with john wall yeah was playing as the two baby was playing the two even though given his size is diminished and he couldn't shoot and he couldn't shoot, could not shoot at all when he came into the league. You kind of had to draft him without sort of getting to see him play, you know, the full-time point guard at at a high level because wall obviously was dominating the the ball there. And I think it's in part why he slips to 18 to Oklahoma city, because what you saw out of Bledsoe at Kentucky though could have foretold again the incredible athleticism, the intensity on the defensive end. You know, some of this you could start to see him be able to go, but he's turned into a, a you know really nice player, uh, a nice point guard, and has been. It's been especially nice to be able to see him blossom the way that he's been able to blossom on a really good team in Milwaukee. Yeah, well, especially after he had to spend his peak years in in Phoenix doing whatever it is Phoenix does. So, but he won one tweet and he was out of there. You know, it's really fascinating. He, he's another one of these players that, that starts slow. Uh, he's actually the, the, the thunder drafting, but he's set to the Clippers and those first three years in the league for the Clippers weren't anything major to really write home of. He, he was playing yeah, a backup Even role. that, even that, even that third year with the Clippers, they played us in the playoffs and they couldn't keep him on the court because he wasn't, he wasn't a three-point shooter or threat. He, he made a decent percentage that year, actually, but it only took 78 attempts. Like he, he just wasn't somebody we were going to guard. And so, and so as the series went on, it just became harder and harder to play him. And then that's his third, you know, that's his third season. And they eventually put him in the trade in the three-way trade that brought them uh, JJ Redick and Jared Dudley. They, uh, they sent Bledsoe out. And and as you said, Bledsoe is now 30 years old. Uh, he may not be at peak Bledsoe uh, right now because, again, a lot of his game is predicated on that elite athleticism. But he's the starting point guard on the best 
uh, NBA t- regular season NBA team in the league this year. Yeah, and yeah, and and as you really said, good. all defensive team uh, caliber uh, defense still uh, being played uh, for Eric Bledsoe. And so this is you know it's interesting because we're now in the draft at seven, and we're still talking about some really powerfully impactful players. Yeah, that's that's going to change here pretty quickly. I think it, but. I think it just changed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so there was a lot of head scratching um, from here on out. Mm-hmm. And you know, interesting that some of the players they're going to see, you know, you you kind of have to dig into the analytics a little bit more because you know they're they're not they're not going to have their reputation, their their points per game or rebounds or assists per game aren't going to blow anybody away. Uh, but you know, at least there's some anecdotal evidence, if nothing else, uh, analytically that that they were having some positive impact on the court. I, I I was stuck. You know, we got the Clippers at eight. They took Alfarico Mino. I don't think that's the guy um, here. I think he's at another tier down from the next kind of group of guys that that we had left. I uh, man, I went back and forth uh, on this before finally settling on on Greg Monroe. Yeah. I think that's the right pick. And, you know, you look at his career, he's averaged 13 points a game, eight rebounds a game. He has a 20 PER for his career. And it's it's the limitations defensively yep. for him. That, that, that's what took him out of the league. That The league changed enough that it was no longer possible to play him. Because this is a very, he's a very skilled guy. Um, he was a guy that really got along well and, and all the teams that, that he played on. And, you know, there was that, there was that sort of moment, you know, when Milwaukee decides to set the Milwaukee paid him a bunch of money at, 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 you know, 25 years old as a free agent after, after playing at Detroit all those years. And after he made all that money starting his, you know, starting really the 2016, seven, it all starts to kind of go downhill. Yeah. And that was regarded as such a coup for the Bucks that they were able to get a max level free agent. And un- unfortunately, they, you know, <laughs> I guess watch what you wish for, right? Watch what you wish for. Turns we, out we, we had one of those too. But t- you know. turns out to be a, a pretty bad signing for them. Uh, it's amazing considering that there was a couple of those for, for Milwaukee, yet they're in the position that they're in because sometimes when you draft a player like Giannis, and you make a great t- trade like they made for Chris Middleton. It doesn't matter what else you do. Um, yeah. It's it's going to work out okay. But, you know, there's not, not a lot else I have to really, you know, say about Monroe other than, you know, after his rookie season, you know, his sophomore season. And then for like the next four or five years, he was very productive on the offensive end, was a very good rebounder, uh, and just really couldn't stay on the court defensively. Exactly. Okay. That takes us to the ninth pick in the draft. The Utah Jazz are on the board. They are not going to get Gordon Hayward, unfortunately. No. Um, who was a, who, as we said before, was a very, very popular player in Utah. Who do you select for them at nine? Man, <laughs> now we're really, now we're really in a tough spot. All right, I'm going to shake things up a little. I think this guy could could rank a lot higher in this draft class and, you know, games played points or whatever if he had come over sooner. Um, I'm going to take Nemanja Bjelica, uh, who is the 35th pick and has only played five NBA seasons, but is a really good player for Sacramento right now with his shooting, his ability to handle the ball. He can play four. Um, and I, th- I think if he had come over s- sooner, would have been able to do more of that uh, for uh, Minnesota, who had ended up with his rights. And uh, but his only, again, this is only his his fifth season, so he doesn't quite have the career accomplishments of some other people in this draft. But I think just just as a as a player, I think I like him better than the other guys on this list. Well, I certainly think that you can make an argument of of the guys that are left that are still productive in the league. Uh, he's he's going to bubble up to the top. Um, for sure, and if nothing else, that that lethal three-point shooting uh, that he's shown—he shot over forty percent from three his last three seasons in the NBA. He's thirty-one years old, uh, and so you know there's a there's 
there's probably going to be a point of diminishing returns here, but because he can stretch the floor the way that he can, he might be able to hold out a few more seasons in the league. But I, I actually, this was who I had here as well. Uh, and it was a bit, bit of a, again, you can make a lot of arguments for a lot of guys right now and, and where they're going. Uh, it, it may make the most sense to say he would have been higher had he played longer in the league. Yeah. Best shooter in this draft class, 39.3% career. So let's go at 10 to the Indiana Pacers. I'm going to take a guy who his career numbers, if you just look at that, six points a game, six rebounds a game, nothing nothing to scream home about, but has been a reliable rotation player in the league for a number of teams. I'm going to take uh, North Carolina's Ed Davis here. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, you had him we, in Memphis. Uh, we had him in Memphis. Yep. Uh, wish our, our coaches had warmed up to him a little more uh, because we, we thought he was at worst an elite backup big. And I think he showed that in with the Lakers and with the Blazers after us and Brooklyn um, and Brooklyn. Exactly. Uh, where he was just really productive in that role, even though he was a little thin, a little short maybe, but he could block shots, good rebounder, uh, very left-handed, but really good finisher with that left hand in traffic, uh, and had a pretty good feel for the game, even though he wasn't what you'd call a classic skill guy. Like he wasn't like a shoot dribble guy, but he could, he could make the next pass, get the ball moving and, and, um, you know, keep keep things flowing at the offensive end. So he, he didn't really hurt you that much that way. So I I think he is probably the next best player here. And uh, unfortunately, it's probably pretty close to the end here. I mean, definitely lost some effectiveness in Utah this year. So we'll see what the future holds for him. Yeah, they were very disappointed in Utah. They they had hoped that he could continue that that streak of being you know a really effective backup big for them. It was something that they really needed. Uh, in Utah, uh, when when Rudy wasn't on the floor, and it just didn't really pan out uh, for them this year. If they could have done that over again, I think they would have just given the job to Tony Bradley and signed a, somebody who could play the three four with with that exception money. That that's you know that's something they're probably beating there. Yeah, exactly. Though you, you you look at a season at Brooklyn the year before, and you can't blame them for where what they did and and on the money that they had. And and one of those guys. You know, he was he was an enigma coming into the draft as well. He actually got some buzz even as a 19-year-old at North Carolina even though he was only averaging like 6 6 points a game and 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 didn't didn't play a lot uh for North Carolina. Uh, but he was so effective when he was in the game at North Carolina that he ended up you know being intriguing as a draft prospect and then as a sophomore season you could see the rebounding you could see some of the defense, the the size question was a big thing. What he, how he was going to score, and what his offensive game was going to be like. I mean, there was a lot of major question marks, I think about about Ed Davis uh, coming in, and he just sort of just kept them going, <laughs> you know, throughout his his entire career was solid as a backup. But that's where we are with the rest of the 2010 uh, redraft, unfortunately. And so um, you're not asking for much more here. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using the information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or your lunch break or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, the history books, 
Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read, but never had the time. I've read The War for Kindness, Building Empathy in a Fractured World by Jamil Zaki, and The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion by Jonathan Haidt, and I highly recommend you check them out. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for a low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com NBA, try it for free for seven days, and save 25% on your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up on Blinkist.com slash NBA. Okay. Well, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. We are back with picks 11 through 14 on the next segment with John Hollinger, redrafting the 2010 NBA draft. The New Orleans Pelicans, probably the Hornets back then, uh, on the board at 11. Interested to see where you're going to go. Yeah. um, I'm going to take... Al Farouk Aminu, who actually did end up in, in uh, New Orleans for a little bit there. Uh, again, like not a super sexy player, but effective uh, combo forward, plays defense, rebounds, sort of shoots it. I think the shooting part of the equation was the one thing that really stopped him from being a, a, a good starter in the league. I know he started in Portland for a few years there, but it was always a situation where they were taking him out in fourth quarters and, and it, it was, he wasn't like a starter that you trusted to be in your closing five quite. Um, had a tough year in Orlando this year. Again, uh, another injury guy, I guess, had the knee injury this year. We'll see how he comes back from that next season. But he's put together a pretty good career. A really good defensive player for, for the whole of his career too. He's better than Cole Aldrich. <laughs> and uh man kansas has had a rough go i've been thinking back on these these redrafts and yeah there's not, not been not, a lot of kansas victory laps for me <laughs> i'm not i'm not sure what to say about that it's they, starting they, to worry about my devin dotson take but, on, <laughs> when i uh see all these kansas track record the, the jayhawks not not so good <laughs> wow Okay, at 12, the Memphis Grizzlies took another Jayhawk, Xavier Henry. Yikes. Yeah, that was a, that was a yikes, yikes, yikes. Um, yeah. I'm going to take a player that went undrafted. All right. And, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a little story uh, mm-hmm. to introduce Jeremy Lin uh, okay. to uh, my relationship with Jeremy Lin. I'm in... I'm in Impact, uh, which is Joe Abunazar's uh, workout facility in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and they do this. They do this workout uh, for me and a lot of NBA teams every year. We kind of go through, and uh, John, I'm sure you've attended many of these. And you sit up in the stands, and they'll have different guys running drills and and you know doing different things together, and even kind of occasionally playing. And I'd been hanging out there for a couple of days, and look, my job. I, I, I've met, look, these are all the players that are trying out for the draft are among the elite of the elite. And so I'm not, I'm not going to really ever try to bash anybody. Uh, you know, I just, I don't, I don't really feel like that. It, if you're, if you're really terrible that day, there's probably a, just not all I'm going to say about you. However, I'm in the gym, Jeremy Lin's in the gym and it, it could have just been a, a, a very small sample size for me or what have you, but he looked in my opinion, completely outclassed by everybody that was there. Uh, I okay. heard some hype and buzz about Jeremy Lin. I just mm-hmm. didn't see it. It did not look like an NBA player to me at all mm-hmm. on, on, on the floor that day. And I wrote it and it, it, it upset Jeremy Lin. 
uh, upset his family. It felt disrespectful. Like, you know, it was one of those rare things where like I was talking about everybody else and then like had to decide, oh yeah, Jeremy Lin, I don't think he, I don't think he's going to be maybe a player. He doesn't fit. Well, that was wrong. Uh, It was a terrible take. Gave him a chip on his shoulder. The truth is he ended up exceeding all of those and had this moment. And I mean, it was quite a moment called Linsanity in his second year in the league with the New York Knicks when Mike D'Antoni just gave him the ultimate of green lights and, yeah. and he went wild. And uh, that cemented a, a fairly long career. He went to Houston after that, played, started all 82 games for Houston in 2012-13 season. And there's been definite diminishing returns for him. Uh, throughout the rest of uh, his career, uh, but if you and it wouldn't it wouldn't be this draft without a serious injury. Uh, the, the injury he had early uh, two years ago in uh, Brooklyn that pretty much pretty much ended his NBA career. And uh, but if if you think about a guy that maybe in their peak moment, uh, he had a peak moment that lots of other I think lots of other prospects didn't have. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do a, do a redo to Jeremy Lin and not only (laughs) say that he didn't belong in the league, but put him back in our lottery in our redraft in 2010, my mea culpa to Jeremy Lin. Yeah. We, um, you know, he went to Charlotte after, after, uh, Houston, I believe it was, and, um, gave him a couple good years on, on a really value contract and, that just I hit my head over that because we were trying really hard to get him when he was in in free agency that year. He was undervalued by the market, and we just didn't quite have enough exception money. So that's uh, it's unfortunate. We all we almost had some some Lin sanity paired with Vin sanity in Memphis, but it didn't quite work. That'd have been quite the thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Raptors are on the board at thirteen. They selected Ed Davis. He's off our board. Who do you got? Well, I'm going to get them a guy who played for Toronto anyway. Um, another guy, just good, solid player, reliable, pretty good shooter, pretty good defender, nothing fancy at all. That's Patrick Patterson. Exactly the guy I had here as well. Um, turned out to be kind of drafted right at the right spot. <laughs> and, and that's what you're getting typically at the 13th, 14th pick is a, a guy that's a you know, solid rotation player. Not sure what else we want to add about Patrick Patterson. Uh, def- there's, definitely, yeah, there's not a lot of color to fill in here. Like just a, really got an unremarkably solid player yeah. for a number of years, right? Another guy that had maybe a little body bias, and you know he he definitely yeah, looked the part, sure. maybe more than his game uh, played the part. Has had a long and solid NBA career, and that's about all you can say. Okay, with the Rockets, with the 14th pick. I am going to select Avery Bradley out of Texas. And I, and I thought about putting Avery Bradley higher because, again, there was some peak Avery Bradley uh, in, in, his, uh, in his career with Boston where he really looked the part of a 3 and D um, type, of, type of guard, right? Uh, he, was, he was excellent on the defensive end. Uh, he shot the basketball um, really well uh, in his uh, at the age of 26 in the 2016-17 um, year he averaged 16 points a game six rebounds a game shot 39 percent from three um, there was a lot going on for him and his career actually looked very very bright and then he gets traded or then he ends up getting traded uh, to Detroit and then uh he played for the Clippers for a little bit. He's played for Memphis and, uh, and then uh, ended up with the Lakers uh, this season where he was, you know, okay. He was solid. Um, started 44 of the 49 games for them. To me, I would maybe had him a tick higher than maybe a Patrick Patterson or whatever, just again for where peak Avery Bradley went compared to where peak Patrick Patterson's been. Yeah, I mean, as good as he was in that 16-17 season, the the advanced numbers just never liked him. Uh, 
so his reputation on defense, and I think that, you know, when people watch him in the ball pressure, they re, they react to that, but I'm not sure if his overall defense was quite as good as people made it out to be. And then obviously he had the one year where he shot the ball really well and that added to his value, but so much of his value was tied up in shooting because he almost never got to the rim and he wasn't like a setup guy for other people. So I think that hurt him too. Yeah. Um, he averaged good. one, one free throw a game <laughs> Yeah, for, yeah. for his career. Yeah. What's, uh, what's funny is, uh, you know, we had him for those 14 games in, in Memphis at the end of last season, and he, he went bananas for us. He, had, he actually had his career high for us, I believe. He had like 36 against San Antonio or something, like the second game we had him. Um, and then, unfortunately, he got injured. He averaged 18 points per 36 for us. Like, he, he was, he was uh, pl- playing about as well as he had played in that stretch. Okay, well, look. It's an interesting draft. Every draft has its flavor. There was some real talent in this draft. Injuries have plagued even a lot of the top talent in this draft in ways that have capped who they could have been. We always do a little CSI at the end with guys that were drafted in the lottery that did not make our redraft. Let's start with the number two pick in the draft, Evan Turner, who has had a long NBA career but couldn't even make this somewhat weak list at the end what happened just just couldn't shoot it well enough i mean that's what it boiled down to the shot just never got there so it's and you know he was able to be a decent shooter from the mid-range but that just didn't produce a lot of value and teams got wiser to that as as time went on it just became harder and harder to keep him on the floor was an interesting prospect he was a bit of a polarizing prospect he's at ohio state his sophomore season, he kind of blows up. Uh, shot forty four percent, by the way, um, from three. His sophomore season, but only took twenty five threes, right? And then comes in averaging twenty points a game. He averaged six assists a game his junior year at Ohio State. I think people saw him as a combo guard uh, that was big and that could do a lot of things, and they hoped that the shot was going to be something that came around. And I think to your point, it just it just never did. And uh, there was talent there for sure, um, but you know you look at not a, you look at his cr- not a freak athlete either. Yeah, yeah, I think that was a that was a big question mark too. Probably peak Evan Turner is the 2013-14 season with Philadelphia. He gets up to averaging 17 points a game, six rebounds a game, four assists a game. But uh, for his career, uh, as you pointed out, 29% three point shooter makes a big difference with a guy that doesn't have elite athleticism, isn't going to bring really bring it on the defensive end. That was not his strong point either. And uh, this year for Atlanta, just played in 19 games and looks like, uh, looks like he may be done. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's over for him as far as the NBA goes. And, uh, you know, one of those, those guys too that maybe was a little bit overinflated in his own mind about who he was and who he was going to be, um, you know, that I think there was some frustration with that as well. The fourth pick Mm -hmm. of the draft, Wesley Johnson. Yeah. There were a lot of red flags on him just from the analytics side. And, um, you know, he's an older player. Didn't like, didn't have kind of like those secondary statistical markers weren't all great. Um, even though he, you know, he scored a lot and, was a little like played basically as a four at Syracuse, right? And and kind of had to be a three or a two three as a pro. And I I think he just got way overdrafted. Yeah, um, he's interesting that he was a transfer. So he played at Iowa State his first two seasons, had to sit out a year, then came back. So he's a twenty two year old junior at Syracuse. Did have a big year, and uh, you know one of the things that I think teams were hoping for was that that those shooting numbers were going to continue. He took 123 threes his, his uh, junior year and shot 41 and a half percent from three uh, during that. And I think there was hope the free throw numbers weren't terrible uh, that, that that was going to be something that he was going to be able to bring to the league. But it's very interesting thinking now that we know about Hayward, what we know about Paul George, they were all there. They were all in, in a pool together because it wasn't like Wesley Johnson was like for sure the number four pick in the draft either. Um, That of all the guys Minnesota took, 
they they this is you know David Kahn again. Uh, they 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 took the absolute worst of those and uh, an interesting one with so many players that I think started off you know slow. He was kind of okay his rookie season in Minnesota, and it it actually just sort of peaked. That was that was it. That that was all we were going to get uh, from him, and and in some ways uh, regressed um, a little bit. His last season was 2018-19 in Washington, where he only played 18 games. Uh, there's a reason sometimes that you don't draft 22-year-old players, especially players with the profile of Wesley Johnson, and uh, why guys like Gordon Hayward or Paul George would just have been better picks there. Ipe Udo, number six pick, Golden State. You know... He wasn't like bad. He just, the skill level for his size just wasn't there to support him being the sixth pick in the draft. And it never came around. Like he did other stuff that was positive. He was a pretty good defender, you know, he was a smart guy. Played. He was another guy though who blew up as an older player. Uh, yep. Another transfer then, student, Michigan two years, yeah. then ended up at Baylor. Didn't do much at all at Michigan. And uh, interestingly, falls out of the league, goes to Europe, and, and becomes a really, really good player in Europe. And gets one more chance to come back into the league uh, with Utah. Uh, so he, his last season in the NBA was 2014-15. And then he's in Europe for a couple of years. He's one. He's a guy that teams decide. Okay, we're going to take a flyer on him, bring him back to the NBA, and just none of that, none of that translated back into the NBA. And uh, and he was gone again, uh, but did did have a nice year or two uh, in Europe. Uh, he was, I think, what you could say was a solid player that just didn't quite fit in the NBA. Uh, you want to say anything about the Cole Aldrich, Xavier Henry? <laughs> <laughs> Cole Aldrich had had a good year at Kansas and, you know, was a guy who, uh, again, I, I think anything beyond a dunk was just really hard for him. And because he wasn't a super duper, uh, above the rim, you know, shot blocker dunker guy, there just wasn't as much of a role for him to play his game at the NBA level. Um, Henry, I think, was a mistake by the Grizzlies. I mean, the, the thing I, you hear from people or I heard from people when I got there was that they were really focused on trying to get somebody with a high IQ, and he really impressed them in interviews. Uh, but it, it just never translated totally for him on the basketball court. He also had a knee injury, which set him back a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, that pick was definitely a mistake. Probably two of the Kansas players – that I was least excited about. I, 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 as you know, have an irrational exuberance towards Kansas players. These were probably two that I could see it coming a little bit more. I was not as excited about them as, as I had been in the right. past with them, and, and neither of them panned out. Okay, well, that's the 2010 NBA redraft with John Hollinger. Our next one will be the 2011 NBA draft where Kyrie Irving despite being injured almost his entire freshman season at Duke, ends up as the number one pick. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.